The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It has been so fucking long since we right, sat down dude. to record an episode it's, it's of this. It's like I gotta shake off all the rust. All the cobweb. My my mouth is full of cobwebs. Everything is... <laughs> I've, I God knows what I haven't been able to use my voice for anything else yeah, right this now. This is the only time I get to talk all week. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we are back. We've crawled out of the holiday hole where we yeah. were imprisoned was, for our hubris. I was not expecting it to be as debilitating as it was. Yeah, so we're we're back. Uh, pardon us if it's a little dusty here in Cobweb Land. Yeah, uh, I'm also going to... Oh. I was also going to throw out that uh, for people who follow the the Twitter page, I did promise an episode. I'm sorry, I'm working on it. I've just been dealing with other stuff lately. Yeah, the the but, holidays are a wild time. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> between traveling and then like getting back in, having to like retransition to normal life after traveling and being with family and all that stuff, we just we we couldn't get it together and. Anything we would have recorded during that period would not have been up to snuff, so we figured, like, we'll take a hiatus, we'll come back in the new year. Yeah. Uh, it's 2020, so we're all here now, uh, <laughs> and what oh, a start God. it's been. <laughs> um, um, who boy. So, now that we're here, uh, we're going to do something fun today. We're going to talk about... This has been in my head, and I didn't tell you about this, Dylan, this is why I've been thinking about this, but we're going to be talking about puzzles and how games engage with puzzles and puzzle-like kind of design and how that can kind of influence the kind of story they tell and how we engage with the stories they tell. And I was thinking about this because I went and saw Knives Out and goddamn if that wasn't one of the best whodunit movies I've ever seen. Okay, well that explains it. <laughs> yeah, like it It had me thinking about that because Knives Out, and I will avoid spoiling anything because it's like... As much as I'm not usually a spoiler-averse person, I feel like the fact that I was able to go into Knives Out as blind as I was did have an impact on how much I was able to get into its specific kind of story. But it, like, wildly veers from whodunit to, like, suspense thriller and back again in a okay. way that I was not expecting. Uh, and that also kind of feeds into what we're going to be talking about today. But yeah, so to kind of lay the groundwork... I'm actually going to go back, keeping on the whodunit train, to uh, the episode I record. I recorded solo a month, month and a half ago, uh, talking about alternate endings and like true endings and that kind of thing. Because I led into it with the discussion of the movie Clue, because I don't know why, but that felt pertinent at the time. <laughs> and one of the things I brought up then is that the reason that whodunits like Clue work is because they're built on this kind of framework and this kind of like tacit agreement between the filmmaker and the audience that like if you pay close enough attention and you're following the clues and you do your own kind of private sleuthing work you'll be able to figure it out alongside the people in the film 
Right. They encourage like a a less passive sort of watching experience and invite you to become a more active participant in the story and in these kind of story beats as they come into play. And that got me thinking about games that sometimes through being more of a mystery and other times just through like the way that they place out their challenges do, did the same thing for me as I was playing them. And so we're we're going to talk about that. So the first one we're going to talk about is a game that Dylan has been trying to get me to play for forever and I finally started to get into it. It's, oh, uh, it's Phoenix Wright time, baby. Uh, how far are you, if I might I ask? I am not terribly far. I'm I'm only, like, I'm into the third case in the first game. You know what? That's actually pretty far, so don't feel bad. Cool. So, <laughs> the first game is not, it's four cases and then there's a bonus. Oh, okay. Uh, I assumed it, it was longer than that. There is a fifth case, but it's, I kind of recommend playing that one after you do the rest of the trilogy, because it, it was packaged with the DS re-release. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. But yeah, so Phoenix Wright, for those of you who don't know, it is it its full title is Ace Attorney Phoenix Wright. And it is a game in which you are we've talked about it before, but you are a a lawyer who yep. a, a defense attorney specifically, and your job is to get your clients acquitted. And you do that not only through courtroom scenes, but also like you go out and investigate. You'll go to the crime scenes, you'll talk to witnesses, you'll talk to investigators, you kind of gather as much information as you can about the case into your dossier so that then when you're in the courtroom and you're cross-examining witnesses or hearing testimony from experts or anything like that, you are able to kind of go through their testimony piece by piece and, like, hold it up next to the evidence that you have. And it's it's really cool. It's very charming. I love these games so much, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I can't wait till you get to the third game, but that's that's another that's yeah. another story altogether. But what's fun about Phoenix Wright and what's kind of unique about it in a way that I hadn't really seen a lot of other games do, and to be fair, I don't play a ton of visual novels, which this game is kind of leaning into that genre as well. Yeah. But that action of, like, there is a story happening that you and your player character aren't really privy to. You don't know necessarily exactly what really happened. You usually get, like, a... a, a kind of prologue cutscene where you see the end result yeah or like, like the the build-up to the defining moment yeah but they're always vague enough that like you don't necessarily know who it was that did it although sometimes it does show you a face so yeah yeah i like the first murderer's name being frank Sawit. i forgot about that. yep <laughs> <laughs> um but because Phoenix doesn't really know exactly what went down. You as the player also don't know exactly what went down. So even though you know, usually you know from the start, from that sort of cutscene snippet, that your defendant is innocent. Oh my like god, the, I can't the second wait. case, not to get into major spoilers, but the second case, you like you see an image of the culprit doing the murder. And then you see your your client, it's like, huh, that's not the face the game just showed me. I that doesn't seem right. To, I can't <laughs> wait for you to start the fourth case. Because I, I was just going to get to. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean, like, you, you don't know any of the other details. You don't really know. They do a good job of kind of obfuscating things so that, like, 
as you're going through the testimony and someone's like, ah, yes, here is a detail, and you go, objection, I have a statement from the police that contradicts that, you don't know what that's going to get you. And sometimes it doesn't get you anything because the prosecuting <laughs> attorney is a rat bastard, but... Gets you a, uh... <laughs> it gets you a penalty is what it gets you. Yeah, it gets you the judge being like, oh, Phoenix. <laughs> but I just, I really enjoy it because it's not a complex game and it's really like typically not that complicated as far as the mysteries go like there's a few twists and turns and it's not like ah I saw all of this coming from a mile away but it's not doing anything like really out there yeah the experience is so much sold on you buying into that element of mystery and you buying into this puzzle and like taking it on yourself as the player to fill in these blanks in the stories and like to want to uncover what happened for real. And I think that's really every cool. Every step you make, yeah, every step you make at chipping away to the heart of the greater story is like feels like a huge accomplishment and you yeah. just get those, you know, those brain chemicals start churning out dopamine. <laughs> just, I'm, just, I'm so full of endorphins because of the Phoenix right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. But that got me thinking also about like other games that even if they're not puzzle games, present themselves in a similar enough way or like present the challenges in them in a way that at least for me got those same sort of creative juices and those same sort of like active listening gears are rolling yeah. i think the the thing that i really like about phoenix right is that yeah you you are kind of this passive you're this passive observer who's trying to figure out all the details behind the case um and something i like about the final case of the original phoenix right and Really, uh, they they kind of iterate upon. Okay, so Chris, uh, you you've beaten uh, case two, so I'm sure you've heard of the DL six incident. I have. Um, it's an incident in which the mother of your sidekick Maya, uh, basically was involved in that case, and the fallout of that was so bad she had to disappear. Um, and the DL six incident is something that will be brought up again and again. Um particularly in the the case after the one you're playing but also like the characters involved in that incident will be a recurring thing throughout the trilogy oh really um yes yes that's cool uh and it's so there's this there's this element of you know the 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 small like i am working on this case and it might be a filler case like uh the steel samurai case that you're on right now mm -hmm. but you know that's a that's a fun opportunity to like get to know your characters like this is you seeing maya when she's not in a detention cell yeah um and like that's and that's mm -hmm. taking advantage of like they've already prepped you to be aware at all times and to be paying attention yeah. to things that you might otherwise not and so there are that lets you get more out of this kind of filler arc when it comes in. They're able to throw in maybe things that aren't plot relevant, but that are very character relevant and like help to flesh out the world and help to flesh out the relationships, trusting that you'll be paying close enough attention to get the most out of that. Right. The The one complaint I have about Phoenix Wright is that sometimes you, you get like, you have, with the evidence and the backstory provided to you, you come up with a different different idea of what happened and sometimes you can focus so much on that idea that you're missing all the evidence that points to what the game makers wanted you to go down. 
Huh. And so, like, then you can, like, that's something that's happened to me a couple times. It's not, like, a huge problem, but, like, sometimes you're like, this is how it happened. All right, now I need to find my evidence for how I can push it in that <laughs> direction. When, like, the witness testimony has a flaw that is completely unrelated to any of that. Yeah. And in that way, it, it makes it feel like a good mystery. Like, mysteries always have, are they're full of red herrings. They're full of these, like, if you focus too hard on this one thing, you might miss the other side of it. I don't know. I yeah. The Phoenix Wright games are so well constructed from what I have played so far, and yeah. I cannot wait to get deeper into them. <laughs> uh, if you listen closely, Chris, you'll hear the far off uh, cry of Coop yelling, "Play Danganronpa." <laughs> I started. I started uh, the I first still need one. To. I feel and... so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Coop, we love you. I swear, I'll finish these games, and then we'll start. Dude, where's my rompa? And we'll <laughs> have our next <laughs> yes. podcasting project together. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to transition into something very strange. Yes, it's time. It is time. My favorite game of last year, my favorite game of 2019, was an indie game called Katana Zero, in which you are a cyberpunk samurai with time-controlling powers. It's fucking wild. Dylan, I, I know I, 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 gave the, I gave you that game for Christmas, right? Yes, yes, I played, the first, I played the first couple levels. I have not beaten it. I okay. got... I got some pretty choice games for Christmas. That's so. fair. That's very fair. There, I will try to be spoiler light. Mm-hmm. Because most of what I want to talk about is related to, not necessarily related to the story itself, but rather how the game tells its how story. How it progresses. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that the decisions I make in these conversations and these therapy sessions will have a huge... I don't know how much it changes overall it there are there are definite changes and there are some like secret scenes and hidden boss fights and things you can get based on your dialogue choices yeah hidden boss fights there's there's at least one hidden boss fight oh my god against the therapist well yeah i figured (laughs) um but this game is the the basic structure is you are like i said essentially a samurai it's a cyberpunk kind of dystopian world, and you're being sent out on, like, assassination missions. And the one kind of ace you have up your hole is that that's not that phrase. Wow. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> how did Lando, how did Han beat the uh, beat Lando and win the Millennium Falcon? Well, he got the ace out of his hole. And, oh, my God. Um, let me try again. <laughs> the one ace you have up your sleeve is... You have the power to slow down time. So it's all side-scrolling. You'll walk into, like, a board with multiple levels and some guards running around, and some of them have guns and some of them have knives, and you have to kill them all and or get to the other end of the room. And what complicates this is they all die in one hit, but so do you. So if you get hit or shot or anything, you're out. Luckily, you can slow down time to, like, deflect bullets back or, like, throw something really accurately and then jump out of sight or, like, anything like that. And, pardon me, there was a siren in the background and I wasn't, pl- like, paying enough attention to pause to talking to make my edit better. So I we'll, got you, I got we'll you. We'll deal with that. Um, <laughs> like I said, cobwebs. But what I love about this is it. it is a game that thrives on, like, fast twitch, reaction speed gameplay like that is definitely the 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 way you have to play it is to be very ready at any time to like jump out of the way or hit the attack button or hit the the dodge roll button 
But because of the way it's laid out, because you get this side-scrolling, like, you can see the whole floor plan and where everyone is, and especially because you have this time-slowing ability, it is designed in a way that feels more like a puzzle to be solved than feels like a, like, gauntlet to have to get through. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. I think that's really cool, because it turns it rather than, like, you know, you die and it's like, oh, shit, well, I guess I wasn't quick enough. I'll just have to try again. When you die and you hit that respawn button, you can take a second and go, okay, what are the other routes I have available? What are the other, like, things I can try to try to get around, like, that roadblock that I ran into on that path? And so it gets you thinking in that more kind of analytical, I'm being an active participant way. Right. And that's very helpful because the story and the way the story is presented is really cryptic. Like, there's... And again, I'm going to try and be spoiler light, but you come to a point, probably not too far from where you are, Dylan, and this is probably something that has come to be clear already to a certain degree. Okay. Uh, the you, are, you have these time control abilities because of this drug that you are being administered by your okay. therapist after every mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hint at this because the first time you get one of these injections, you hear this like like the world slows down and distorts for a second. You get the same kind of effect that you get when you activate your time-slowing abilities as far as the audio mixing and everything. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so as the game goes on, you start learning more and more about, like, where this drug came from and why it is you need it or at the very least are being administered it. And I'm I'm, I'm not going to... I'm going to try and keep this spoiler-free, but there is a point Uh, where there is... Do you want me to just take off my headphones? No, 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 no. You're good. Because I think that you'll get a kick out of this, and I will try to be as vague about it as possible. But there is a point where there is a cutscene. You get, like, if you try to use your time-controlling powers, it backfires on you because the person you're up against, the the person antagonizing you in that scene, also has them. Oh. There there are a couple of boss fights that are hinged around, like, creative use. Another stand user. Honestly, yes. (laughs) There are a couple of boss fights that hinge around creative use of the time control power to like either counter what they're doing or to get ahead of them but like it forces you and again because you've been primed by all these levels that are more puzzle oriented the game can kind of get away with just like shutting down attempt after attempt and forcing you to rethink and reevaluate and retry and come up with other things you can try and that coupled with the fact that like when you die you hit one button and start right over kind of like hotline miami or super meat boy or something like that it allows it to be what would almost come across as feeling like brutal or punishing, but it doesn't because you've been primed to think of it as a puzzle. And so it doesn't feel like I'm being punished because I wasn't good enough. It feels like, oh, that wasn't the solution or that wasn't a solution that's going to work. Right. And add on to this the fact that like you're getting all of the story from like chance interactions. Like there's no point at which someone like delivers a supervillain monologue and explains everything that's going on. It's left to you to have to, like, play the part of Phoenix Wright and kind of piece together why things are happening. Not in exactly the same way, but it, again, because they're priming you to be thinking analytically, that carries over into the cutscenes. Even though you're not, you know, having to figure out how to kill everyone in the room in the cutscene, it's still there. And that's how the game has taught you to think. And I think that's just fucking cool. Like, I... Mm-hmm. Everyone go play Katana Zero. It's genuinely, like, it was my favorite game that came out last year that I played. 
Um, I'm it. not going to play Katana Zero because it uses dumb pixel graphics. And that's I'm a going to desperate eat bit your nose. <laughs> that's like an actual thing people say. And like, I I don't get it, man. Here, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not gonna hate on you if it's just not your thing. If you're not yeah, into that people are that allowed aesthetic. to not like, like pixel graphics. Like, that's fine. It's that's just... totally fine. But like, bad-mouthing them because it's pixelated... <laughs> Like, I don't like, know. I there, there never is a, got that argument. There's a distinction between this is not my cup of tea, so I'm going to avoid it, and I'm not going to play it because this thing they did is stupid. <laughs> That's so dumb. I, I don't get it. Like, I, I, I remember I've, I've talked to Coop about it, and he's he's got, he's he told me that he's gotten a little, like, worn out by, like, the overabundance of pixel art, and, like, that's fair. Like, that's not a style for everyone that can yeah. get old after a while. But, like, just, like, people who use the argument that, like, oh, pixelated graphics, it's either low budget, which is hella not true, or yeah. they're just pandering for nostalgia. It's, like, pixels are just, you know, that's, like, expressionism. Yeah, and like, also, here's it's... the thing. Maybe it's because it's low budget, but maybe that's because not all game studios can afford a suite of 3D rendering like editors right like and like here's the you thing you work with the talent you have <laughs> yeah you work with the talent you have you work with the budget you have and like sometimes that is going to end up looking way better and way more like stylized like that's the thing cruddy pixel graphics sure i can get it but like something like katana zero or something like iconoclast where they're like so clearly aiming for an aesthetic that that is the right choice for yeah or even something like shovel knight is that game entirely nostalgia bait? Hell yeah. Is it also a great game? Hell yeah. I love Shovel would it, Knight. Would it have quite the same factor if the art wasn't like that? Probably not. No, it would, like, that same gameplay with non-pixel graphics, like, maybe it would be as fun, but, like, so much of that game is its aesthetic, and that's not a problem. Anyway, we're, we're off topic, but I'm going to leave this in because it's a fun discussion. Okay, cool, cool. Um, but yeah, that was, like, it's a little bit of a stretch that I'm, I'm taking to, like, call Katana Zero a puzzle game, because it's hella not. Mm -hmm. But it has that sort of mindset to it, and it has that sort of design philosophy of, like, encouraging you to look at it as a puzzle to be solved. Um, and I think that okay. the way that it that encourages you to engage with it is very interesting I, I yeah to piggyback off that i i think like what the things that chris says about uh katana zero is also applicable to the resident evil games uh particularly like the old style ones uh like the the ps1 games and resident evil 7 and the recent remake of resident evil 2 all do that thing where you know you might not necessarily be learning from failure but you are learning if you if you've gone down the hallway and you've seen like five zombies there and you're not sure like if you'll have enough ammo to kill them you're probably <laughs> going to be planning a different route through the police station or the mansion or whatever to make sure you avoid those and try to get a more roundabout way to the the next puzzle that you need to put the piece in yeah um, and we we've we've mm -hmm. talked a lot before about what the the cool things that resident evil does with like the scarcity of resources yeah and like that definitely is something that encourages players to look at it as a little bit more of a puzzle and less of like, I'm going to Gears of War my way through this, vroom, vroom, here's my chainsaw. Right, right. But as far as Gears of War, vroom, vroom, here's my chainsaw, let's talk about <laughs> Resident Evil 4 real quick. Because I think the the cool thing that Resident Evil 4 does, which isn't so much like 
you know, story puzzle, but, like, I, I think the most interesting thing of when I first played Resident Evil 4 was that even though it didn't have any of the puzzles that I was used to from previous Resident Evil games, it its approach to combat felt more puzzle-like, in that, like, with the tools you have available, you, you have uh, many different ways of dealing with, like, the enemy hordes that are coming your way, and you can kind of deal with them through various, like, exploits of uh, mechanics and states. So, for example, if a zombie is heading towards you, and he's surrounded by a group of other zombies, you can shoot him in the head to stagger him, and if you do that specifically, you can run up to him and then <laughs> roundhouse kick the entire spin, group of jumping zombies. Jumping spin kick. God. Jumping spin kick. <laughs> Resident Evil 4 is the best Saturday morning cartoon of all time. It's so good. Um, <laughs> or, you know, like, maybe you'll have a grenade. Or, you know, maybe that zombie, when you shoot him in the head, uh, you shoot it, and then, like, one of those Los Illuminados uh, parasites comes out, which is, like, kind of, like, the this weird alien thing that's, like, actually making the enemies zombies. It's, don't worry about it. So then you use a flash grenade uh, to instantly kill that parasite, and then you stun the zombies that... There's, there's a flowchart of different things you can do. You can kneecap a zombie and then suplex them and you get invincibility <laughs> frames so all the other zombies are knocked back uh there's just there's a lot of different ways to approach it and it's kind of it, it's kind of getting you into the mindset of leon who's supposed to be this cool um unshakable government agent the resident mm -hmm. evil games are such like a weird thing if you try to break down all of the different sort of gameplay mindsets going on within them yeah but like Man, they make make something cool out of that weird intersection that they've got. So I don't know if you had anything else on this exact topic, but I just thought of something that I think will be very exciting for when we come back from the playbill. So hi, 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 kids. Hi, it's it's Papa Chris and Daddy Greg's, and we're here in the playbill. <laughs> To talk to you about other things that we're doing and other projects that we have going on and other things that you should listen to. Hey, Dylan. Yep. You mentioned Coop earlier. Who the hell's that? Uh, Coop is a mutual friend of ours, you <laughs> sociopath. Is, who the fuck is Coop? <laughs> I met him through you, and together <laughs> we host the podcast Dude, You Remember Macross. That's dude as in D-U-D-E. I'm so tempted I'm not going to do it. You're welcome. I, I love you. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, uh, we're on a... Uh, sorry. We talk about the old uh, science fiction, uh, science fantasy, mecha anime, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, and all of its sequels and associated media. We've actually been on a bit of a hi uh, hiatus lately, longer than our backstage gaming one, but... Um, it's pretty fun. We're going to be starting Macross 7 next. Uh, that's the one I know nothing about, so that'll oh be interesting. And it's it's a pretty sizable show from what I remember, too. I think it's 50 episodes. So that's going to be an adventure. And if you want to join that adventure with us, you should check us out at anchor.fm slash dude you remember. We are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. You should also go show some love to our friends over at The Unexplored Places. It's an actual play podcast. We're currently in Season 2, which is using the Scum and Villainy game system to do some sick uh, sci-fi 
shenanigans is i guess the best term for it i i can't wait to play more <laughs> oh my god i'm so excited yeah we we finally started recording the first arc that dylan is going to be involved in because dylan is sort of a uh going to be a recurring guest character yeah. uh and it was a it was a blast that arc should be starting up not I this i think three weeks from now three will be when that now. one goes Amazing. up but it's killer it's a lot of fun it's all great and as podcasts are it's free and you should go enjoy more good free media that isn't owned by the mouse so go check them out they are at unexplored cast on twitter or you can find them at unexplored yes unexplored and yeah check them out leave some reviews leave some ratings and have a good time i'm in a couple of other shows but i'm not going to waste time talking super hard about those right now because you can find out about them if you like follow me on twitter or something i'm always retweeting the backstage gaming stuff Thank you, as always, to our patrons. Patreon.com slash BSGpod is where we get the support that we use to keep our website running, to keep all of our expenses down so that we can do this thing and keep providing you guys with our thoughts and this project. And it's been a blast to work on, and I'm so glad that we are able to so reliably. So thank you mm. all to our patrons. And if you want to support us, Patreon.com slash BSGpod is a great place to do that. Thank you also to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network and for taking taking in all these great podcasts about video games, looking at them from different angles and giving us a way to kind of share our fan bases and garner support and go check out the other shows on the network. You can find them always being retweeted at HPVG Pod Network on Twitter. I think that's everything I have for the playbill. Do you have anything else, sir? No. Nope, I think we're good. Wonderful. Then back into the action. There was my that was my pause for editing purposes. Hello, everybody. We're back. We're back, and we're better than ever. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Maybe possibly. So you said you had um, a, a couple more anyway. things you wanted to to dive into along this. Yeah, this line yeah. Of um, so when when you when you first brought up this topic to me um, and mentioned Phoenix Wright, um, that was kind of like the oh, I started playing a weird adventure game kind of thing. <laughs> it's a really weird game to describe. But um, I started playing that, like, last week. Um, Chris, have you heard of Killer7? Yo, yes. Absolutely, yeah. I've heard of Killer7. Yeah, so I, I finally took the dive into Killer7. Uh, Killer7, for those of you who don't know, it's a game by Suda51. It was his game that predated uh, No More Heroes, which was, like, a wacky, I don't know, off-the-cuff action, it, sort of character action game. It's it's kind of a it's kind of like what Metal Gear Rising is. It's a it's a parody of the action game genre. Yeah, and it's a great time. There's someone I follow on Twitter who released an article on uh, Travis Strikes Again, and I I think that's uh it sounds like a pretty cool game. I I still need to check it out, but I feel like you might dig it. But that's not what we're talking about right now. <laughs> we're t- <laughs> sorry. I just I had to give that plug. Yeah, because that's that's my personal recommendation at uh, Dream Boem Boem. B-O-U-M. Anyway, um, he did an article on Travis Strikes Again and about, like, kind of find, like finding and rekindling your love for a medium. And it's really good. And I think I think people should check it out. I might retweet it on the Backstage Gaming um, Twitter, if that's cool with you, Chris. Killer. Seven. Um, ah, yeah. look at that masterfully executed link. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, um, full disclaimer, I've only played the first level slash area of killer seven so it is something that is very new and alien to me and oh how alien it is but uh essentially killer seven is a game where you're playing an assassin 
with seven personalities. Correct. Named, uh, like, they're all, all their surnames. Their collective surname is Smith. And you are going into, like, these areas, and you are killing these weird creatures known as Heaven Smile. Um, and they all have different types, uh, like, you, you get points, bonus points for shooting them in glowing areas, and it's really, it, it's a, it's a game that, like, is so esoteric. It's um, real strange. There's, there is, you have a spirit guide who's a man in a gimp suit named, I don't even remember what his name is, <laughs> but he always starts the, he always starts his conversations with you. Um, with, like, Master, we're in a tight spot, and then, like, he always ends his speeches the same way, and it's charming in a very weird, eerie way. Um, but the the reason why I wanted to talk about Killer7 is, I think, because everything is so surreal, and there's so much, at least so far, left unexplained, as you are kind of going around these hallways, because the, the game loop of Killer7 is... You're, it's basically it's basically an adventure game where you have to find the key to the right lock um, and so to progress. But on top of that, you have the seven different personalities, and they each have an ability that will help you progress through the stages. And the thing about this game is that uh, as you're exploring these environments, you're not really exploring them in the way like you would in like Resident Evil or Zelda or whatever. You mm-hmm. are on your movement is locked to a straight line. And you go forward on the line by holding A, and you pivot 180 degrees by pressing the B button. And when you are in combat, uh, you'll hear, like, laughter, and that's your sign that there's an enemy around, but they're invisible. So you have to take out your gun, go into first-person view, press the L button to see the enemy, (laughs) and then you gotta shoot at the enemy. And it's, it's so weird, but, like, in its weirdness and in its, like, weird stiffness and jankness, you kind of get a feel for, like, the type of character you're playing or characters you're playing. Yeah, um, it, it almost ends up feeling like a, like, it's like a weird rail shooter. Yeah. <laughs> in a way. In, in that, a way. Like, it's the a way rail that you're kind of locked to that one axis of movement. It's like House of the Dead if you were free to explore the House of the Dead in the style of a Resident Evil game. <laughs> Uh, it, it's, it's, I, I, I guess, like, to, to kind of expedite this, this conversation, I, the, the thing that makes Killer7 stand out to me so far is the layer of, I, I almost want to say efficiency that you feel when you're playing this game, like, because you don't really have, like, a lot to wander, like, the Smiths, uh, they're, they're, you know, their movement is very direct and to the point. Yeah. You feel like a professional who knows exactly where they need to go or can piece together where they need to go quickly. It doesn't have that, like, I don't want to say narrative dissonance, but, like, it doesn't have that meandering quality where, like, you know, Nathan Drake's an action hero, but, like, when you're trying to figure out where to go next, you're just, like, wander around this arena that you just fought in uh, yeah. looking for progression. The weirdness of combat kind of makes it feel like this is something that only you're equipped to do. And this is, this is like, a, it's, I, I would like to revisit Killer7 once I beat it. But like, yeah, I just, I wanted to bring it up. kind of in the same way that like, Devil, the first Devil May Cry game yeah. feels much more like you are a professional. Here are the ways in which you be a professional. Yeah. And then it Although transitioned I guess... into being more over the top. 
Yeah, I although I guess I would say that uh, in Devil May Cry 1, that was more you being rewarded for excellent yeah. play, whereas Killer7, it feels like to engage with the base mechanics, you kind of need to be in that mindset. Yeah. I, I want to talk more about Killer7, but I definitely need to wait until I beat it. Yeah. But, like, just because, just because, like, we were talking about, like, this kind of... As you are playing the game, you are thinking actively about the story. Killer7 is this weird game where, like, everything is so intrinsic to Killer7 that you're already, like, your wheels are turning trying to comprehend what it is you're playing. Yeah. God, I, I love weird games. Yeah, like... I, like when I when I call Killer Seven weird, I'm not saying it like it's a bad thing. I I love this game so yeah. far. It is it is the best kind of weird. It is the one of a kind type of weird. I was thinking about this recently because I was I was like thinking about games that like were impactful to me as I was growing up, and one of the big mm-hmm. ones that came into my mind was Pikmin, which yeah, is so yeah. much a product of like this weird period where like quality of like like the the technology had improved a lot yeah but the cost of production hadn't risen to meet it yet in the way that right. it has now where like nowadays triple a games are enormously expensive yeah and there was this brief period in like the original xbox gamecube ps2 era where like for once the production value and production technology had widely outscaled the cost and that's yeah. where a lot of, like, real cool, weird games came from. Yeah, you're making me think of uh, Beautiful Joe. Yeah. And, like, just how, like, you know, all the... It's like Devil May Cry, except, like, the core combat mechanics are actually to make you a cooler action movie hero. Yeah, like, there's there's a lot of my favorite games came from that period, and I think Killer7 falls into that, too, or, like, they could get away with making something really weird because it wasn't prohibitively expensive yet. And I I... There's definitely people in the indie scene doing that nowadays, but I really miss the era where, like, AAA companies could get away with those kinds of gambles. Yeah. Really reliably. So have you, like, played or seen a playthrough of Killer7? I played a little bit of it back in the day, but I haven't, like... That actually surprises me, because it is a freaky game. Yeah. <laughs> no, believe me. I When I say a little bit, I mean a little bit. <laughs> I, I press start, and then I immediately turn the game off. Yeah, no, it's... It's very weird, and I definitely need to, like, either revisit or track down a playthrough, because I remember being intrigued and fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dylan, before we leave, I want to have a, a quick discussion with you. Yeah, of course. As I was thinking about other games that fall into this kind of, like, puzzle hidden inside another mechanic, I've been exciting Dylan recently, because Dylan, Dylan likes him some fighting games. Oh, it's true. I love me some fighting games. And I, for a long time, was not a big fighting game person. I played some some Smash Bros. a lot, because I was a Nintendo kid growing up. But I, right. I'd never been that big into, like, classic, traditional, you know, Street Fighter-esque 2D fighters. Yeah. And then, in 2017, I think it was, when we lived together... Yep. Dragon Ball Fighters came out and I was a huge Dragon Ball nerd gr- growing up even if so like seeing that even though I, it had been a very long time since I had engaged with Dragon Ball Media I was like okay this looks cool enough that I'm gonna get yeah, it we doing this and that was kind of the beginning of this road <laughs> where Dylan and I started playing that game a lot together and then I think I bought again on your PS4 I went ahead and bought Guilty Love Gear Guilty Gear. yeah yeah <laughs> uh and I've just I've I've been getting more and more into fighting games, and as I've been like, I'm still trash. Let's not let's not 
expand. Let's not get too big for my britches. <laughs> but as I have been getting better, as I have been shoveling some of the trash off of myself, fighting games are just like really high speed puzzles. Yeah, dude. Like that's all. It's all about um, like figuring out the frame data and learning like what you can do and get away with and what you can't. And like then once you have that, it's just about trying to outguess your opponent and trying to riddle out what they're going to do and trying to keep them from riddling out what you're going to do. Yeah. So I've been I've been playing a lot of SNK recently and by recently I mean like for the past year or so. Oh yeah, I I just, I got... just downloaded uh the SNK game that you got me for Christmas. So yeah. I'm going to start playing a little bit of that sometime soon. All right. So my my favorite uh fighting game currently is The Last Blade 2. And I have played a, I have sunk a lot of hours just doing the arcade mode of The Last Blade 2, which I don't do for a lot of fighting games. And the thing I really enjoy about The Last Blade 2 is, you know, uh, SNK, the company that makes Last Blade 2 and King of Fighters and uh, Fatal Fury, all those games, uh, they are kind of notorious for having really difficult arcade modes. Mm -hmm. I think actually the game I sent you had one of the easier arcade modes I've played made oh, by cool. them. I'll be able um, to learn. Right. The I so you you pick your character and then I guess the thing that like I really started learning uh while playing Last Play 2 is different movement options like the benefits of doing a full jump versus a short hop versus dashing into a hop, you know, all these different things mm -hmm. that you can do. The cooldown of all of my attacks cuz I the character I main in Last Play 2 is he uh Hibiki who is this samurai who kind of starts with their sword sheathed and like when she doesn't attack, she uh, sheaths her sword again so like that's sick that's additional frames though so you gotta like keep in mind like what attacks are safe and what attacks aren't uh i had to think more about like her range her effective range like basically this was the game where i really started thinking about footsies because uh snk fighting games being as notoriously difficult as they are the ai will start to read your inputs at a certain point oh shit uh and so like you you can't like do a strong attack with like a long recovery time because when you do that, you know, the computer will punish you. So you have to think about, like, what's safe or, like, wait for the computer to try to attack you, know what they're doing, and then after you've baited out that attack, that's when you strike. And it, it becomes this game of, like, try, trying to learn the enemy's AI patterns, learning about your own moveset and what you can do and what is safe and what is not, and, you know, all that stuff. I, I really like it. It's really fun. Um, Chris, you, you might have seen... Me upload a clip to my Twitter of a of a comeback oh, victory. I just I had to really look up of. this game, and I am in love with these these sprites oh, and this so sprite good, work. Dude. This is shockingly good. <laughs> this was like uh, SNK at their height before their first bankruptcy. Oh, poor SNK. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. They're they're still making games now. But yeah, no. So that's that's something I really like about fighting games. Um, and Hibiki, she's like a mid to low tier character, but like it's not. The thing I, I'm really starting to discover about fighting games is it's not so much about tiers until you start playing competitively. If you're just yeah. playing to have fun, pick the character you want and, like, you know, you can express yourself that way. Yeah. I don't know. Th this is a, a tangent away from the, the core thought of, like, how these games encourage you to think about story. But, like, it's... Well, it's not cool... necessarily. Sorry, yeah. Go, no, no, go for it. Uh, I guess, like, that. that's the thing. Like, as I'm talking about, like, Hibiki's uh, different... Uh, you know, she sheaths her sword. She uh, a lot of her attacks are like very hard hitting. If you're playing with the right mode, don't worry about that. Um, they're really hard hitting. <laughs> she has great reach, but she also has like some pretty 
mediocre recovery, so you gotta really plan your strikes well. And Hibiki, I, I feel like that ties into her character itself, because she's someone who doesn't really like fighting. She'd rather have her sword sheathed unless she really needs to attack. Yeah, I'm um, noticing that when she wins, I'm watching a video of, of this gameplay right now, and I'm noticing every time she wins, she cries. Yeah, so that's another cool thing. Um, if you if you attack an enemy, if you if the victory blow is like a jab or whatever, it's fine, and like Hibiki will just kind of exhale in relief that the fight's over. But if you attack with like a heavy slash or a special attack that cuts the enemy in half at the end of the match, she'll like start freaking out and she'll cry. Um, and if you do the arcade mode, if you end every fight killing your opponent, Hibiki actually gets, like, an evil ending. Yo, that's rad. It's so cool. I think she's the only character in that game who has that. But, like, it's... That's it's so like, cool. That's kind of what I'm talking about, though, where it's, like, the the fighting... I, I, I feel like people who play fighting games, like, they pick a character they're attracted to because of the story... Be, uh, because of, like, their fighting style. Like, just in some yeah. way that In the case of something really... like Dragon Ball, just, like... Maybe it's your favorite character uh, from the show. Yeah, you you play adult Gohan, right? No, I my my current my current team that I've been trying to get good at. I have two teams that I'm trying to get good at. One is base Vegeta, Super Saiyan Goku, and base Goku. Okay. Because I I love just like the fact that they finally added in the OG pit, like versions of those two characters. Or <laughs> Because I'm a masochist, and I want to give the Earthlings their comeuppance, Krillin, Yamcha, and Tien. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> no kid Goku? <laughs> no. No. Nah. Gotta, get, gotta get Krillin in there. Krillin, is, Krillin has so many cool things. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> also, he's my boy. My little bald boy. <laughs> Anyway, uh, this just yeah. turned into us gushing about fighting games, but like, no, there, I know, but there's yeah. there's something this sort of puzzle design in games you can find under the surface of a lot of different games that you might not be expecting, and the ones we talked about today are a little more overt about it. But I think it's I always think it's really cool when I see a developer who's clearly put thought into not just the mechanics of the game, but how those mechanics are going to intersect with the story they want to tell, and that certainly is the case with all of these. So yeah, I hope that gave you all something to think about. Let us know uh, on Twitter or in the comments. Thank you all so much for listening to uh, to this week's episode of Backstage Gaming. Hopefully by next week we'll have dusted a few more of these giant, giant spiders that left all these cobwebs in our brains out of here. You know, and as we'll far be... as like a wake-up, warm-up podcast, if, if that's how we're treating this one, like this felt pretty good. Yeah, it feels good I'm, to be back. It was, a fun, it was a fun topic. It was great to talk to you again, Dylan. It's been, it, it's weird. I've gotten used to like talking to you physically at least once a week because yeah. of this. And then going for those three weeks, it was like, man, I miss Dylan. Yeah, we were just like, we've texted each yeah, other. But it but was, like... it, it, it's, that is genuinely one of my favorite things about doing this show with you is just like, I get to talk to my friend for at least an hour a week. But yeah, we, we will be back again next week with uh, with something else, and we hope to see you all there through our podcast eyes. Uh, until then, thank you so we much for listening. We see you as you listen. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, we know when you're awake. I'm podcast Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us at our website, bsgpod.com. If you want to get in touch with us, there's a contact form. If you want to know more about us, there's some bio info, all that kind of stuff. Thank you again for listening. You can always find us wherever you get your podcasts. And please, if you like the show, if you like what we're doing, leave a rating on iTunes, leave a review, tweet about us, retweet our show, tell your friends, tell, like, anyone you know who you think would be into this, like, weird little niche that we're talking about. Uh, 
send them our, send them our way and hopefully they'll like it as much as you do. If you want to engage with us on social media, there's one very good way to do that or several very good ways to do that. In fact, hey Dylan, hit us. I'm lost. <laughs> Yeah, so if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us on Facebook, or on Twitter, our handle is at BSG underscore cast, and you can also find us on YouTube, and if you want to engage with us, maybe talk about how our fighting game choices are trash, yeah. you can use yeah. the hashtag BSGpod. If anyone wants to really kick my ass in fighters, just hit me up on Twitter and we'll make it happen. <laughs> Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. Um, if you dig his stuff, you should check him out on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts. You should also go show some love to our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1, Instrumentality. He's a great musician, producer. He's out in L.A. doing a whole lot of work with a whole bunch of people. I actually noticed uh, on social media he's working on a project with another friend of mine, a uh, a, a rapper and hip-hop singer named Jabri McLean. So get hyped oh, for, nice. for some new fire coming from the two of them. Uh, but if you want to find more of BioQuery stuff, you can follow him on Twitter at BioQuery, that's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y, or you can find him on Spotify by searching for BioQuery or at SoundCloud.com slash BioQuery. One more time, thank you to all of our patrons at Patreon.com slash BSGPod. If you like our show, Patreon is the best way for you to help support it directly, and we appreciate every one of you who has done that, and any of you who are thinking about doing that, I see you too, and I love you. Especially you. You know who you are. Thank you again, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network and for bringing us together with all of these other great shows to talk about this medium that we love from all these different weird angles. And I hope that you go and check them out at HPVG Pod Network on Twitter and follow some of the other shows in the, uh, in the network and see what they have to say. You'll probably like them, too. That's all I've got for this week. Dylan, do you have anything else you want to throw out there? Nope, I'm good. When all are right. we going to play King of Fighters? Uh... We'll figure that out. Give me, give me some time in the lab so I no, don't I know, just I get my you. clock cleaned. But we'll talk to you next time. Thank you all so much. Bye-bye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. I love you.